0: The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicle mag. I'm Matthew Curtis, and this is The Pellicle Podcast. Welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm your host Matthew Curtis and over the next hour we'll be digging into some of our favourite topics. Beer, wine, cider, along with the food and travel that goes hand in hand with these experiences. Welcome to the Question Time episode. A few months ago I hosted a panel talk at a bar called Five Miles in Tottenham, North London, called Where It's At. Its intent to figure out where the UK craft beer industry is at the moment, perhaps taking stock of it in the process and figuring out how it might look in the future. I'm joined on this panel by three influential people within the world of beer. Ed Mason, founder of the Five Points Brewing Company here in London, Miranda Hudson, founder of Duration Brewing in Norfolk, and Adam Robertson, founder of Verdant Brewing Company in Falmouth, Cornwall very few topics are left alone in this lengthy debate. Quality, independence, crowdfunding, the price of beer, nothing is taboo. It resulted in a very interesting discussion, and at times it's quite amusing, especially when our host Mark Hislop of X Ale Brewing, formerly Hale Brewery, delivered us some patented Malibom shots midway through the discussion. Thanks to Dan and Mark of Exhale for hosting this discussion. Now that they're in their new home in Walthamstow, we hope to host another of these entertaining debates really soon. So, whatever you're doing, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Pellicle Podcast. much for coming out to um, the first uh, where it's at uh, series of panel talks here at five miles uh, my name is matthew curtis and i am a, a beer writer drinks writer um, and i will be your host today and i've got um three fantastic guests owners of uh, some of the most exciting young breweries uh in the UK to open within the last 10 years, all at different stages of their life and all approaching their businesses slightly different. So um, as I uh, read out their names, please give a warm welcome to uh, Adam Robertson from Vernon in (laughs) Fowler. Miranda Hudson from Duration of Abbey Farm in Norfolk. and Ed Mason of the Five Points Brewing Company of Hackney, here in London. Today's uh, panel discussion uh, is going to look at where we are, where, where beer is now, and where we're heading, because over the last decade, things have just been a whirlwind, and I think we're all sort of gathering ourselves after the industry has evolved and changed. It's gone from an industry of 800 breweries to 2,500 here in the UK. We're seeing more and more breweries when to import into the UK. We're seeing more and more consolidation uh, as larger companies purchase smaller companies. It's become uh, It's gone from being a shocking uh, irregularity to uh, a startling regularity. And so, w- for me, I've been looking into the future and I keep asking myself, where are we gonna be in five years? Where are we gonna be in 10 years? And at the moment, I, I can't give you an honest answer. And, and so, I've written some questions tonight, and I picked this panel because I think we might be able to help divine what's going to happen in the next few years. And, and hopefully, my wish is to, to look at it with a bit of positivity, because those who, like me, are active on Twitter know that things can get quite heated. We're all, you know, we, get, we keep saying it's just beer, but we're all quite passionate about it. And I know many people, many faces in the audience work in beer. So for us, it's not just beer; it's our livelihood. It's actually the livelihood of 800,000 people in the United Kingdom. So it's a billion-pound industry. So um, this is about seeing where it's going and hopefully putting a bit of a positive spin on that and seeing what opportunity is out there. And we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about independence um, and what does that mean versus quality. We're going to talk about the evolving price of beer and how beer itself as a category is evolving from being just beer to being incredibly multifaceted. And we're we're going to talk about how beer is moving away from its urban origin point. Craft beer definitely started in the cities but it's definitely not going to end there. But first I want to talk about um, core beers and I want to talk about specials. And I particularly want to talk about the idea behind building a legacy. Um. I was just, I recently uh, interviewed Roger Ryman, the brewmaster at St Hostel, who 20 years ago uh, went to work for an ailing brewery uh, producing 15,000 hectolitres a year and he invented a beer called Tribute, which you would think it's been around forever. It, was, it actually became Tribute in 2001, so not that long ago, but actually the size of St Hostel has increased tenfold. Uh, since that beer came out, such as the legacy it, it has built for them. And I try and look at the current proper breweries and say, who's going to brew a tribute? Who's going to have a beer that, that, that increases their size tenfold in, in 20 years' time or 10 years' time? And, and it's difficult to figure out who's going to do that, if at all that opportunity is still there. So, Miranda, we're going to start with you. Uh, I'm really interested to know, because you've been brewing your first few beers at Amundsen in, in Norway. Uh, and you've been designing something that to me looks like a core range so what's the thought process behind developing that range and and indeed approaching a completely new range of beers how did you approach that
1: so we started off doing collabs uh, for about a year and we thought we needed to develop it a little bit further Um, our approach really was we'd love to become known for being consistent having good quality and a certain amount of sessionability and drinkability I think for anyone that doesn't know Duration, we really want to fall into a range where our passion lies within some longer kind of sours and um, developing a little bit of a premium range. But I think every brewery knows you've got to keep the lights on and you've got to deliver something that's drinkable, sessionable, approachable. So the first few releases that we've made have tried to echo some of that really. What
0: was the value of doing those
1: collabs before you started coming up with beers of your own? Huge. I don't think, um, I don't think we're very well, well known by any means, but I think within brewing circles and beginning to be within consumer circles, um, it's definitely got a name out there. Uh, we've got a brewer that has some recognition within the industry. So we kind of tried to leverage that and, um, and make a little bit of a name for ourselves. We're coming in relatively big, so we needed to build as much demand as we could. No pressure.
0: Um, Ed, how important has defining, because something that stands out to me about the Five Points is you've defined a very strong core range of beers. So how important was that? Was that a decision you made when you started the brewery?
2: Yeah, it was absolutely key. I mean, you know, Five Points is the, probably the very epitome of a brewery that was founded on, on a core range. You know, that's, that's really what we do. Um, you know, we were we turned five last year and in that first five years I don't think we did a collab. Um and we celebrated our fifth birthday party with, with five collabs and then it went so well that we did another five collabs in the in the second half of the year. But you know, for our first three years we brewed first two years, sorry, we brewed three beers, which we still brew today, and that's our five points pale, the Railway Porter, and the Hook Island Red. And I think you know we 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 took that approach for a reason, because you know, we, we Grew up drinking, you know, Greg and I, Greg, Greg's our head brewer and my co founder, and we grew up drinking, you know, awesome beers that, 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 that we went to time after time after time. It was, you know, I don't know, maybe Timothy Taylor's landlord or, you know, Bass back in the day. And, you know, I think our touchstones as, as, we, as we founded the brewery were those sort of classic traditional UK breweries that we loved, like Timothy Taylor's, like Fuller's but also, you know, some international reference points like Sierra Nevada, and those are all breweries that have brewed, you know, awesome core cool beers that have had, you know, great credibility in, in, in form of a better term, you know, the craft beer scene, but that also have had mass appeal far outside, I right? say that. So our, you know, some of our favourite beers are, um, you know, Timothy Taylor Landlord, uh, Fuller's London Pride is a great beer. Um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, um, Thornbridge Jaipur, you know, fantastic example of a sort of new wave modern brewery that have, have, have kind of excelled with a, with a with a flagship beer. And those were, you know, those, those remain sources of inspiration to us. And, and I kind of think that, um, you know, collaborations are, are are fantastic. You know, it's a brilliant, you know, we wanted to wait really, I think our first collab, we, we wanted to, to to collaborate with breweries that we loved and respected, and there was a reason for doing it. And we thought, all right, it's our fifth birthday you know, let's, let's, let's you know, get down the brew house with, with some of these friends that we've made over the last five years. And it worked, it worked really well for us, you know, and I think it's something that we will continue to do. Now we, you know, five years in, we dipped our toe in that water and we'll continue to do it because it's yeah. a brilliant experience, but they're never, you know, it, it's probably going to be 1% of what we do each year, for example, by, by, by production. Yeah, that, that, that was my next question. What's the motivation
0: behind doing collabs and specials? I have to concentrate for so long on, on three beers. Why, why do specials now? I think that um, I, I
2: mean to a few reasons for it. I mean, you know, we, you know, we made some. And it's just, it's just a great way to sort of celebrate the spirit of collaboration in, in the industry. But it's also a really great way to to give projects to our brew team. You know, that that experience for our brewers, not just Greg our head brewer, but brewers who are sort of coming up through the ranks, as it were, to be able to go away, um, you know, to other breweries around the country to see what they do in their their brewery to design a recipe together you know so it's, it's a it's a really fantastic way to kind of build your experience you know and you know no doubt there is a you know there, there's a commercial angle for all the breweries involved of course there is you know it's, it's it's you know people want you know people want some excitement you know breweries and sorry you know pubs and bars and restaurants you know they want to put something exciting new on the bar alongside that poor range you know and i suppose that the uh, we have a pub in, in leeds called white locks um which you've had for about seven or eight years, and you know, our biggest sellers are, 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 are Timothy Taylor Landlord and Thiexton's Old Peculiar and Kirkstall Pale, Five Points Pale, Railway Porter, but, but equally, you know, people want what's new and, you know, they want the, the one cast at a time or the two cast at a time and that's fantastic if you have a venue that can, can, can
0: cater to both. Adam, Verdant has had a huge focus on, on special releases, so what, why do you think this has been such a,
3: a driver for your business? I think it's important to say that we also have a core range, and we started the brewery with a core range. Um, The special, I think it's it's mainly about process for us, essentially. When we started brewing, we didn't have the ability to use the ingredients that we wanted to use. So we started a core range that was pretty much the beers we wanted to brew, but they weren't using the ingredients we wanted to use. So when we managed to grow and uh, build the second site that we're in now, and we were able to use new ingredients, we, we thought we've got to go for this and we've got to start brewing new beers and trying and learning and experimenting. So it was more about experimenting and learning and, and nailing the process. Our goal has always been to, to brew the best IPAs, double IPAs that we possibly can and hopefully in the country. And now that us come back right now, this year we haven't brewed a new beer yet. So we're, we're re-brewing all the old beers because we think they're great. And personally, I'd like to see some of our IPAs be the go-to New England style IPAs that people can find on shelves. And when we expand again, the plan is to get those beers onto shelves more regularly, so less of the the kind of I think I personally think that we'll build a rod for our own back if we just constantly push out new beers. I don't like the attitude that... I'm going to drink that beer, I'm going to rate it five stars, but I never want it again. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Because if it's a great beer, you should go for it time after time after time. And that's what we want to do with our beers. So
0: it was really interesting that you
3: mentioned your your core range straight away. What's the importance
0: of of those beers to you? And how do you balance that desire from your consumer for for the new while wanting to invest in in a core range, as you said? How, How do you keep the balance
3: between those two things? I think the core range for us has always been a, a challenge and those beers get put on the naughty step quite regularly and we say we'll never brew them again. But we always come back to them because our fans always ask us for them. And I think it's really important to have those beers in the market that A, people can grab a four pack and it's not a, a pain and it's not a bank breaker. It's like, I'm going to take four headbands. And I think I mean, a headband is a great beer for that. You just grab a pack of four beers, five and a half percent, and you walk out, brilliant. And I think that for us as a brand is really, really important. Now, we've got beers in there that we probably would change quite heavily, but we can't now because people are buying a lot of it. So it's kind of a stuck with it, but um, that's not to say that I don't like the beer, I'm just saying it's not the beer we, we set out to make. Mm-hmm. So we've we kind of got this core cool range that we're all, we also would have a dipper in the core cool range. That was like from day one, it was like, okay, we're doing a, an extra pale, pale ale, IPA, double IPA. So it was four beers across the range. And for me, a pulp is, is a beer that amazes me that people come back to that time after time. And that's probably the most close to a West Coast beer we do and it, people absolutely love that beer. So, do you know what I mean? There's beers out there, and they're, we're known for all the New England stuff, but I think that core cool range keeps us leveled as being those guys You can pick up a light bulb, pick up a headband, pick up a bloom or a pulp, but you can pick up Neil, you can pick up Sharks, and we cover the range of bases. And yeah, they're all IPAs and they're all bloody hoppy, but um, <laughs> they're all very, very different. And I think that's what keeps people going. And consistency. Do you know what I mean, you touched on consistency, that you have to be consistent. And just knowing, picking up a beer and yes. it's going to be good. Miranda, um,
0: as the youngest brewery in the room, room uh, how do you see duration making its mark? Will, will you be focusing on a strong core range? Or will it be uh, through limited specials? Um, and, and how do you balance the, the desire to? to want to make both but also uh, satisfy customer demands?
1: I think you always have to push the consumer a little bit and there are those people that Adam was talking about but equally you have to remember that outside of the bubble there's people that have been into a bottle shop one or two times and it's just bamboozling and sometimes having something to anchor on and knowing that brewery's good for that we forget that we think about you know the PR stunt of the collab and all of that high-end level of it, but outside the bubble, I think a core range, hopefully, is something that new drinkers will be able to hook onto and be able to relate to a brewery consistently with. So our thinking is we definitely want to do some special releases, and we want to have, you know, a premier kind of part of the brewery that's really focused on what I think our head brewer's passion is, which is in the wild and sour beers. Um, but at the same time, we want to make lovely, easy drinkable Pilsner Pails, um, a few IPAs. So I think it's thinking about it from two fronts and just pushing both, really.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a bit more about legacy. Like, what legacy do we see? I mean, maybe you've thought about what, where you want your brewery to be in, in 10 years. Because we talked about some um, beers like Tribute. Let's think about beers like Pilsner Urquell, which is you know well over 100 years old and has a, a legacy. You mentioned Landlord. Something like Orval, a brewery that makes essentially one beer uh, for, for worldwide distribution, and they've built a legacy on the back of that. Um, so, Ed, how do you intend to, to build, if you've, I don't know if you've thought about this, how do you intend to build a legacy for Five Points? Have you considered it? Have you considered what you want people to think about you in, in ten years' time? I don't
1: know. <laughs> so what was well, no, I mean, I, just, sorry, really, I mean kind of like,
2: talking. you know, we, we've, you know, we, we've... You know, Five Points has ended up being a relatively you know, successful brewery in, in London, you know, and, and we are pretty London-centric, you know, kind of, I think about 80% of what we do is, is in the great London area. You know, increasingly we do a quite a bit in the north and Yorkshire and what have you for various reasons, but, um, but we, you know, I don't know, it still feels like we're making up as we go along which it genuinely does, you know, when Greg and I founded it, I think, you know, Greg and I <laughs> You know, we founded the brewery six, six, six years ago and Dory Barber was our third employee and Tom Hampton was our warehouse mum was our fourth employee. And, 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 you know, just it's always been really organic. It just, you know, we, we started with a passion for beer and, you know, we wanted to create, you know, accessible beers, but full of flavour and full of quality. It's, it's become something, you know, over that journey, it's become something. But we never, you know, often feels quite hands on still, you know and that, i think that that's a surprise to a lot of people who kind of like you know outside outside the company or outside that that, that kind of you know the uh, the industry and say oh i see beer everywhere i see it you know it's my local i see it blah, blah blah but you know it's kind of um you know we don't you know our vision is just to, to prove breed the best way we possibly can and and, and and with integrity and with an ethos and you know hopefully taking our stuff with us and and building something Value that lasts, but I don't, you know, genuinely don't. You know, we, we, we committed to independence, you know, genuinely are, and we're committed to the, to the, to the, to you know, our community ethos and you know, all the things that, that we think that we're, that we that we major on, but we're not, I don't know, where we'll be in 10 years' time. I hope, I hope, yeah, you know, I hope we'll still be around in 10 years' time, you know, I, I really do.
0: Ethos is what's five points ethos? Uh, you know, I remember seeing uh, John Keeling do a, a discussion at um. Uh, the, the brewers' lectures uh, a couple of years ago, when he talked about how breweries had to have a philosophy, which is more or less the same as an ethos. So, what what is the five points ethos? To to brew accessible, tasty beers that are full
2: of quality, but but with integrity and with a commitment to the community. You know, really, you know what it really is. You know, the touch points are those. You know, we want we want you know your average show in the street to, to drink our beers and to enjoy our beers. You know, and, that, and I think you know to that to be to be great. Tasting beers and great quality beers, and to do that responsibly, you know, like, and I'm always bang on about it because like, we're really proud of it. You know, we were the first brewery to be an accredited living wage employer, and that, that means a heck of a lot to us. You know, we train three full-time apprentices, and I think they're you know, trying to, you know, to, to become um, fully qualified brewers. And you know, we've made, if we make some mistakes on the way, and you know, we're sort of growing at a breakneck pace, but but you know, we're sort of proud of that. You know, that, that what we do, and, that, and I kind of think, you know, it's 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 interesting because we are. You know we're in the heart of Hackney, which is fantastic. You know we're underneath Hackney Downs Railway Station, but we've got a block of flats opposite us, a terrace row of houses next to us. We're getting increasingly pissed off with all the vehicles coming up the road and you know brewing from six in the morning till ten at night. And it's you know like that what started out was that kind of vision to brew in the heart of the community increasingly is a bit is a, is a bit problematic. So we will we'll have to make some hard decisions in the next couple of years about where we end up. You know we can't we can't sort of stay where we are forever. So we will need
0: to consider they, they, those moves. Yeah. Absolutely, it says London Brew on your labels. so. Uh, I can see yeah. so A rod, a rod uh, for your back, perhaps. Adam, how does the concept of uh, building a lasting legacy matter to, to Burton? Is this something you've
3: considered? Legacy within the beer, definitely. We want to be the go-to brewery. I think what you touched upon, where breweries brew one style of beer, and that's all they do. We get a lot, it's like, when are they gonna do something else? They're one-trip ponies, they're one, trip ponies they are one this. There's a lot of people doing great stacks out there, you can go and get their stack. There's a lot of people doing great sours, don't drink their sours. We don't wanna step on into that zone and say, right, we're gonna start doing these other bids. We do we do some dark beers, but we wanna be known for IPAs and parallels. And essentially, our remit has always been to be unforgiving in the amount of flavor we can cram into a beer pretty much. That was why we started the Brewery and since we started that we built a team the, the ethos and, and the joy within the team that I see day to day is makes me really proud and we need to carry that forward forever and, and it's a place to work. Especially in a town like Falmouth in Cornwall there aren't any jobs really and it's very seasonal um, unless you're a professional and you can get work freelance you're pretty much stuck for work, so we're bringing in people that from the town are in, uh, and we're training them and we're building a beautiful thing. So that is kind of our ethos moving forwards, brewing the best possible beer we can um, with as much flavour as we possibly can. You just opened a restaurant as well, didn't you? We How does that get into what you're doing? That, that pretty much was, again, uh, an ethos thing so the seafood bar in Falmouth has been a seafood bar for 40 years um, it's part of the town's history so we would take that on and keep it as it was as a seafood bar put verdant beer in there there's there are a few other beers as well but essentially it's a verdant tap room with seafood and it continues the legacy of something that's been quite special in the town Miranda you're just
0: starting out with direction uh How has the concept of legacy fitted into your business plan, if at
1: all? I feel like we wanted to do a lot of things. And one of the things was be passionate about putting the land into our beer. So you said craft beer started in the cities, but looking back over time, you know, when you think of Belgian farmers and people, we want to bring some of that tradition back, but with a modern twist. Um, So our criteria when we were looking was to be near running water, to be near hardwood trees, to be near some fruit, to be near lots of agricultural produce that can inform our beers. One of the other things we really wanted to do, um, our Brewer Bates, he felt like coming from the US, um, the beer scene in the UK was quite new, quite young, almost a little adolescent. And he said, I just want to make beers that are possibly a little less shouty and just they just stand up on their own. And whether that's the pales and pilsners that he wants to make or some of the more, more developed things. Um, yeah, we inadvertently became quite focused on being a green brewery, uh, partly because of where we are and there's no so power. There's sustainability. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that, you know, how much do we... Breweries are hugely... Um, there's a lot of waste product. Yeah. Well, what are you going to be doing in terms of sustainability? That's
0: um, really interesting.
1: So we've, we've put in um, a lot of kit and infrastructure to make sure that we can purify our water and that we have a lot less effluent. So um, we're hoping to have some tanks and separate particle and then chemical and use a lot of the wastewater that's going to be recycled, cleaned up as rinse water in the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and think, you know, how much we're putting away. Um, yeah, that's yep. fascinating. I visited um,
0: New Belgian Brewery in, in Colorado uh, and uh, found that they have solar panels on all the roofs of their of their brewery, and they actually that powers 20, gives them 25% of their electricity. Yeah, we're installing solar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I so, so, so. we're grade two star listed so yeah. we can't <laughs> we might put a wind, wind farm somewhere <laughs> anyway I want to shift the this, this subject a little
0: bit uh, to, to that independence because that's already come up a couple of times and it's something that's, that's really important um, uh, I found out recently that um, Heineken for example own 25,000 draft systems as well as 3,500 pubs and, and they can essentially control the market and, if, and if, it, if they get away with it then the other big guys will essentially do, use the same tactics if they're not already um, and its independence is such a such a passionate subject because it 's very important but a lot of people conflate independence with quality and a lot of independent brewers in the UK make sort of put out bad beer it 's one of the hardest realities we have to face in the industry that independent doesn't automatically equal good. Um, and if you look at the big brewers, they have the quality control in place to make sure uh, whether you think it's good or not, it's, it's consistent. Um, so I'm really interested in, in, in finding out from all of you individually, uh, starting with you Miranda, uh, why is independence so important to you?
1: To not have a shareholder telling you about your bottom line means that Ed can really be favourable to all the ethics that he believes in means that Adam can put his employment records up in um, Cornwall. And I think all of those values that we all hold dear wouldn't exist if we were macro brewers. And the whole point of it is that we get to call the shots of what we're doing. And I think there's a way to come before QC has got to the point where we can compete and we're, we're never gonna be able to compete, but I think they're two entirely different um, arenas to be judged totally differently. Um, so yeah, I think where, where we lack in quality in some cases, we have a lot more heart and we make up for it with really gunning for what we believe in. And we're, we're half doing it, or maybe some of us are solely doing it. Because it's a passion led appeal.
0: And you, you've already mentioned independence. <clears throat> uh, why does it matter so much to the five
2: points? Oh, I mean, as, as Miranda says, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, to be sort of masters of our own destiny and, 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 and to not have, you know, to, 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 you know, not just to put the bottom line first, you know, and, and, to, and to put those values that we believe in, those social values, those community values, to better put those at the forefront of of what we do is, is 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 really important. But I'm not, you know, I'm not some Uber militant sort of independent until I die. You know, I kind of things like tremendous amount of respect for the brew dog for all sorts of reasons. But but you know, like when sometimes they throw their toys out of the pram when another brewery gets gets um, no, some caught out. You know, it's like oh you know, oh God, you know, I don't know. It's kinda of like, you know, I have nothing but respect for people who've built up their own businesses because I know, you know, we all know exactly what it's like, you know. Blood, sweat, and tears, and other cliches. You know, tremendous amount of hard work, effort, money, and if you know, if somebody, you know, whether whether that's Jasper with Camden, or whether it's the guys to Pure, or whether it's Logan, you know, they take the decision. that They, you know, then I respect that. You know, and I don't think it's I don't judge that. You know, in you know, at a very at a very emotional level, of course, it makes me a bit sad. You know when I found out about Camden, having six months earlier, bought a small amount of shares on, on their Crowdcube raise. And, and when we, before we started Five Points, I had a, a bar with Mason Taylor in Bethnal Green for a couple of years, and we founded at the same time as um, Camden Brewery were, were founding. And we, you know, in our first year, we took Camden Hells and Camden Pale as our sort of two house pour beers. Um, and and they, were, they were great beers, you know, and sort of impressive what they did in terms of being pioneering Brewer on the, on the London scene and, and when they sold up, you know, I was I was <coughs> definitely I was a bit sad. And um, the same with many of us were. No indeed. I actually remember your 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 blog post at the time, Matt. And um, you know, the same with Beaver Town and, and of course with Fuller's, you know, Fullers are absolute kind of, you know, massive shock, really, you know, and and, and, and but just that was an emotional reaction, it was a total emotional reaction because we are invested in the industry and we love the beers, but I don't you know, I don't judge them, it's just that's just the way That things work, and I I think this is the way the free market works. It's the way business works, and I think, and it's an opportunity for other people for all sorts of reasons, you know. And I also think I I really strongly believe that what it actually is is a vote of confidence in craft beer, and it's a vote of confidence in what we're all doing because AB InBev and Heineken and Kirin and wouldn't be making those investments if they didn't believe that 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 quality and craft and you know um, provenance and you know flavor wasn't the way forward. You know, they absolutely believe in it, and you know. Obviously, down the line, you know, things might get dialed down, but that's a, you know, beers, recipes might get value engineered. But then again, that's an opportunity for all of us, you know, and it, it gives us, those of us who retain it, our independence, you know, it, it gives an opportunity for us. So I'm not, you know, I don't think it's, oh, it's the end of the world. I think it's a positive thing because I think it's a vote of confidence in the sector. I think it gives an opportunity for those of us who stay independent. And so I'm kind of pretty pragmatic about it, although a bit a bit sad at the same time. Mm.
0: Adam, you were making some. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, know, I know that you've been very outspoken about independence, certainly on your on your uh, on the blog. Uh,
3: so, so why is independence so important to Burton? Well, let's face it, we didn't start Burton to be bought. Um, anyone thinking about buying Burton would be a madman. So <laughs> you can drive the sort of beers we make and and turn it into a massive, massive industry. Um, I think what Ed's saying that. It's about the confidence in the industry, I would doubt that very much. um, I think the big guys are just seeing their market share being slashed and it's a way of getting us off the bars. I think that's more the point than them believing in the product. Um, So independence for me has always been about brewing the best beer we possibly can with as much flavour in the beer as we possibly can. And if we took any sort of majority funding from a, a big macro they would instantly dilute that. Our recipes just couldn't exist in that zone. Mm -hmm. So, our independence and work. The whole brewery, bringing the people along with us, the whole crowd, like raising funds, our end goal is to to buy those funds back and give them to our staff. We don't want to be owned by anyone but us. And when
0: you're making these statements online about the importance of independence, what value do you think that has to the consumer, and I'm actually interested in all of your answers to this, because it matters to us as an industry, but uh, uh, the person going to, to their bottle shop or going to, to Tesco or Waitrose or wherever and buying
3: beer, do they pick a, a can and go, is this independent? No, and I don't think they should, but I think they should be aware, and I think that's why I do it. Um, it's not about shouting the odds. I'm not against anyone selling their business. I, I, I'm with Ed on that. I think each to their own. If you can build a business to a point where it's worth X amount and somebody comes in gives you some cash, it's like, that's amazing. You can push your business forwards. But for us as, as independents and smaller breweries, like I said before, I don't think it's being done out of a love of the product. It's being done because their market share is under threat. So we get taken off the bars, Heineken is as you said, however many taps. Eventually those pubs would get to the end of their lease and say to Heineken, do you know what, we need to go craft because that's where the market's at. And now Heineken can just walk in and go, here's our portfolio, you don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. So we never get on those bars, ever. So that's kind of why I say it, and, and I, the argument that, do you know why, it doesn't matter, it's just a beer. Like you said before, it is just beer, but if you've got a bit a bit of knowledge in your brain, you can make better decisions. Mm-hmm. I, and I, yeah, something I want to come back to is that it's
0: it's not just beer; it's the likelihood of eight hundred thousand people in the yeah. UK, and I think that's why that's why this is important. Um, Brandon, why do you think uh, independence should matter to consumers? Why should they walk into a a, a store and think uh, what's independent? I should be buying
1: that. I think if people knew behind the prices of what goes into making a beer. They'll know that some of those smaller independent breweries are not growing for scale. And in order to deliver those beers, it's, it's just a totally different realm. So as a consumer, I think you think, is it affordable? Is the taste going to change? And things like that. But behind all of that, there's a lot more going on. And I think, yeah, if, if consumers could be a bit more aware of that, it would help somewhat
0: you've you've been pretty open about the investments uh duration has received Uh, what's the value of of talking about that and blogging about that do you think
1: um it really mattered to us where our money came from from the get-go so um for those who don't know um bates and myself the founders we've put in a third of the money that we're going to use to set up the brewery we've got a third debt and we've got a third Private equity. So, we essentially did a sort of behind the scenes crowdfund um, with local business people who are invested in Norfolk and are small business owners themselves. Um, And, you know, we had a few offers to to meet with venture capitalists and people who ran sort of 25 or so restaurant chains around London and beyond. And uh, we just thought about it and we thought, we'll get up, we'll get going, and then there'll be a certain amount of pressure. Mm Um, to scale and to us we want to grow to a certain size and we have a ceiling we want to get to and beyond that we don't feel that we could continue to make the beers that we really want to make um, so we don't want to create an unyieldy machine that's going to become hard to steer we don't want to drop our prices if we don't have to I mean all of this is in the future we, we haven't really established yet but, but all of these questions when planning our structure really mattered to us. Um, So I think it is important to let people know um, that we believe there's a certain amount of chips in the room. And if too many sway one way, it changes the face of what it is for yourself if you want to be an independent brewer. So we thought about that long and hard.
0: Uh, I'm glad you touched on crowdfunding there, because that's the next thing I want to talk about, because Ed and Adam, you've both done highly successful public crowdfunders. um, And uh, and I'm really interested to find out why you think independence matters to uh, to your consumers and why you put uh, London Brew on, on, on all your cans and labels. Um, but something that fascinates me about crowdfunding is that it, it's kind of driving a public dedication to your brewery. But you're, you're selling equity, you're selling a stake in the brewery, you're selling a piece of what you own. Um, so at what point do you think the sale of equity could... Begin to impact your independence, or are people? Does it boost it? Are people investing in the idea of that? Um, so uh, we to start? I mean,
2: just about the, the sort of London brood, and that, I suppose that talks about, goes back to the idea of providence. You know, so I suppose when we when we launched Five Points six years ago, you know, being based in the heart of, of London, that's something we were really proud of. You know, Greg and I both live in Hackney and bringing our kids up in Hackney and you know, to have a brewery 10 minutes from, from our our, our, house, our houses was pretty important. We were working at you know, London Brewed, was just something we wanted to kind of, we were, we were proud of. And when we reached capacity a couple of years ago and we were looking at our options, and we, we outsourced, we did some contract brewing for, for a while with a brewery in Belgium, you know, we, we blogged about that and we posted about it and we were transparent about it to explain the reasons why. So we've always, you know, really, I don't You're not doing that anymore, though. No, no, so, so what, what, so what the, what, what one of the things that the crowdfunding <coughs> allowed us to do um, was 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 invest in and expand our production facility in, in Hackney and, and allow us to repatriate all of our production um, into Hackney. So about twenty percent was last year was, was brewed off site. Um, all of that new capacity was was installed by roughly speaking first of October last year. By the time the funds came through and the kit came through, so as of first October, everything is now back in back back in back in Hackney. Um, so and I, you know, I do agree absolutely 100% with that. And provenance and transparency and honesty is is the most important thing, you know. And I think you know it's, it's that you know, there are obviously lots of sort of multinational breweries or bigger breweries have introduced so-called crafty brands and kind of and aren't transparent about, about who the ultimate beneficial owner is, as it were, you know. And I think you know I, that that's the thing that you know it's not yeah that that is that is, that is I think that's incredibly important to be transparent about. That. In terms of the crowdfunding, um, we ended up with about 1,500 new investors. Um, and that was anything from 10 pounds to 50,000 um, pounds. We didn't, that was literally totally from, from scratch. You know, some campaigns sometimes just preload with friends or friends the family or people who know and who, who come in and we just started from
0: scratch. Um, I think yeah, with, with that platform, you have to now, actually. Mm. Uh, as, as far as I'm aware, with, with Crowdcube, you have to go, you have to raise 25% of the funds before you launch the Crowdfund now. But so book to so crowd you won't turn
2: the pitch on to the general public until you've hit 20% okay so so it's, it's in private mode until you've hit 20 percent of your raise so we so, so the way that we did that was that we reached out to our existing mailing list you know friends and family and so you said it's a sort of it's private mm-hmm. mode but it's it's mm-hmm. yeah. be, you can share the link yeah. and yeah. so forth and that's what we did I mean, when we announced we we're gonna do the crowdfunding we did a press release and we had encouraged sign-ups and we let people know and gave incentives to to the, the sort of early doctors but but one of the things that uh, appealed to us most about about going down the crowdfunding route was you know ending up with 1500 new shareholders is a, is a is a really exciting thing for us because it's you know, it's people who are literally invested in our company in the future of the company and you know they they come down and use our tap room and they you know you know we have a, a lot of our investors you use our tap room and they're getting their discounts and you know we we, we keep in touch there's a lot of sort of two-way traffic and we, you know everybody invested I think over 100 pounds and has a free brewery tour and tutor tasting and that's been been really popular and I think it's just you know we, you know what we didn't want to be and I hope we're not ending up being I really hope we're not but what I didn't want to be was one of those crowd funders that says yeah thanks for the cash so long see you later never hear from them again and you know we're trying to trying to maintain a two-way dialogue and you know we're having shareholder events at the pub this year and the brewery tours and invite people down we've got a pilot kit and order that will be installed in the Pembry, um in three months time and and um, you know people will be invited down to, to trial brews and so forth so that's sort of building a community of people who are invested in the in the brewery was, was a really exciting thing for us.
0: Adam your um yeah. campaign went, went ballistic mm-hmm. Uh, you raised almost three times the amount that you were aiming for, is that correct? Uh, so, uh, what, what are you doing with your investors? How are you ensuring that they are as much as part of the ethos uh, that you outlined er- earlier today?
3: It's it's all about communication, and it's hard to keep people updated all the time, but you have to try as much as you can. Obviously, when we get the the, the funds, and we can start the project to build the new brewery and we get the new tap open, we'll get people down and they can enjoy the experience, they can enjoy the experiment, they can enjoy the seafood bar, and we just encourage people to to become involved. And like was saying, we've got 2,200 new fans. It's like an army, you've you've mobilised. this, And we've already feeling the ripples of that through sales. It's crazy, since the crowdfund started and finished, our online sales now don't, they just basically don't even reach the public. So we, we turn them on on a Friday afternoon, and within 20 minutes, all the beer is sold out. And that just wasn't the case beforehand. Uh-huh. And, and that's what we're getting, and those guys are buying beer, and they're going to share it with their friends, and they're going to share it with their friends, and they're going to keep pushing the burden word. And on top of that, I don't think, I honestly don't believe we could have raised that level of cash without a platform such as You. There's actually no way we could have gone to a bank without the state of the business and looked at it and said will you lend me 1.5 million pounds no <laughs> what are you doing oh, we're making we're making we're i IPAs. i did kids. it <laughs> <laughs> shipping them all to london
0: i did. not know <laughs> how, how do we so we've established that independence is incredibly important to all of you. And I'm going to open this question up to all of you as well. How do we avoid independence becoming a byword for quality?
3: and Or, or how do we ensure it is a byword for quality? I, I don't think we worry about it. Quality is quality. And people create quality or they don't. And some people are trying to, to be quality. And it takes time. It takes time and time and time. And eventually, cream rises and other people fall off. But... Putting a a label on it saying your independence, your quality—I just don't think it matters. It's not a battle with these fighting for.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think integrity is the word, not independence. Mm. And if you operate with that, whether whoever you are, then.
0: What about the concept of the rising tide floating all boats? What if, if a tide of quality, independent beer is is floating? breweries that maybe aren't being as, as stringent with, with their quality. When, you know, it only take, if someone's new to beer, it only takes one bad beer to put them off it for, for months or for life. So how, as an industry, do we ensure that, that independence is a byword for, for quality? How do we ensure that the cream
3: does rise to the top? Just be consistent. Keep creating good beer. And keep get, getting out there and promoting your brand. I think that's really important. Our job is never over. I mean, never rest on your laurels. We need to consistently be out there. There's always somebody finding craft beer.
1: I think as the, as the drinker comes up as well, there'll be a natural cull. And people will, you know, people recognise our flavours. The more beer you drink, the more you think, I'm not standing for this. And there'll be a natural cull, you know, like.
3: But then you just come back down the bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ooh, they <are> still. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, corny.
0: <laughs> so in terms of quality, if someone has here's something that uh, amuses me a little bit because um, people publicly review beers using apps. Um, oh, yeah. If how should consumers, if they're having a bad experience, approach the industry? How 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 would you do? You wish they would speak to a brewery if. If the beer was less than satisfactory, rather than you know half a star, uh, Mm I wouldn't drink this. What would you like to see in terms of a conversation happening between the consumer and the industry? Ed.
2: Oh man, (laughs) that's quite hard. (laughs) Um, uh, I I mean, sorry, it gets easier after this. No, no. um, I think you know the the, the issue of quality is. I think. It's one of the great things about, about collaboration is, is about, you know, sharing best practice in the industry. You know, and I think that's something that the independent sector and the craft sector does, does really well. You know, that, that, you know, whenever, you know, if we want, if I, if I wanted to go around, around Adam's Brewery tomorrow, he would, uh, I know for a fact that he would happily, you know, open the doors and show us around and, you know, and, you know, the, the, the same, the same thing. Because, you know, it's, breweries that are serious about quality are consistently striving to improve and learn lessons and find out what the newest process is or the newest bit of kit that, that, another, that another brewery has and I think that um, you know that, that that is one of the things I've really really enjoyed about about being in the industry the last six years it, it, as a brewer is 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 that collaboration and that support network and that it's been it's been brilliant you know it's been a real kind of you know it's been a real um, a really enjoyable part of, of being in um, being in the industry. I kind of think you know, breweries don't operate in isolation either. You know there are there are industry bodies that, that that are out there that are part of the kind of ecosystem. And the IBD is, is the Institute for Brewing and Distilling is a really important organisation. I think, and we have you know we put all of our staff um through through IVD qualifications, um all of our production staff through <coughs> IVD qualifications to ensure that all our brewers reach the, the general certificate of brewing and, and, and after that the, the diploma. Um, you know, I think organisations like SIBA are important, you know, things like Super Beer n- n- next week and there's a programme of um, Are you a
0: SIBA member? We are a SIBA member, yes. How uh, about yeah. your you You're SIBA members? Yeah. It's thirty three percent. Why why we, we, we uh, is the trade body representing ind- you, we talk about the value of independence. SIBA is the only trade body representing
3: independent breweries in the country. Why 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 not members? I, I honestly have looked at it, I've filled out right the form, It sat there, and I don't see the benefit it would offer us as a non-traditional brewer. As a brewer of modern beers, I don't see the benefits that Siva would offer us.
1: I think it's important to be in the conversation. We haven't said we're not, we just don't have enough viable income to join all of the memberships and everything yet. So, yeah. I think, for,
2: yeah, I mean, for us, I think... I mean, I was so CIBRA is, for those who don't know, and probably can't feel is a society for independent brewers, and it's it's basically the closest thing, the only thing really that the UK has to being a trade body for independent brewers. It's equivalent, you know, it's the UK equivalent of the of the Brewers Association in the States, um, which does have international membership, mm-hmm. but, but, and, and it's a fantastic organisation. But it it's very US focused. We we are members of that, but but you know, CIBRA is, is not perfect. But I, you know. I believe that we are stronger together than separately and, you know, we are, we are better off together. It's far from perfect and I think it's up to those of us who are, you know, are strong about particular issues or are more progressive minded or want things to change to, to mm-hmm. join and to, and to get involved. You know, I think we're all members of organisations that, that aren't perfect all the time, speaking as a Labour Party member. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, you know, so so you know, yeah, we know we're
1: we're onwards and upwards. Matt, when you talk about quality, though, I think we also need to bring the conversation into the whole supply chain. Because as a new brewery, you know, I'm I'm learning about the ripples of the supply chain, and we're entirely working with distro at the moment, other than a really small amount um, from our online shop. And so, seeing who's selling it quick, who's storing it well, who's moving it in the right way. Um, so when someone drinks a beer understanding what might have impacted that beer I think it's not just pointing the finger back and going five star check to the brewery I think it's thinking of the whole supply chain
3: I think I'm going to add to the whole untapped thing reviews of beer are great and as a brewery we, we live by them I know our head brewer absolutely loves them <laughs> but, um, <laughs> there's a massive difference between rating a beer one star saying i don't like hoppy beers and rating a beer that's bad and if a beer is bad we'll put our hands up and apologize but if you're drinking a burnt beer you're drinking a hoppy beer giving it one star is a bit daft um just don't rate it you don't like hoppy beers don't, don't drink it, don't drink <laughs> it. it just, it's that simple so i think it's important for people that are, are untapped to think that it does affect there's a ripple that goes down the chains when you do that. And there's a lot of people looking at it, and they might get a bit hurt if you just give it one star because you didn't like the style of beer. It's very different to that being a bad beer. I think that's really important. Let's uh, move the subject to price,
0: Um, because this is always uh, uh, everyone's favorite subject. Um, It's always heated. Miranda, you're currently producing beer in Norway. Uh, which is very expensive to do so, <laughs> particularly the, the, the types of beer that you're producing. So what motivated the decision to produce at Amazon?
1: Our uh, head brewer um, only wanted to work with breweries he knew. He's not a massive fan of contract brewing, per se, even though he goes out and he attends the brew. So he wanted a brewer that... Um,
0: How often that?
1: oh we've we've done two runs there each time it was two forty heck runs mm-hmm. um yeah so he he Matt Aaron's uh, used to work at brewby numbers so uh, Bates and him got to know each other there he knows he could trust him so while it's in cellar and everything else while it's being packed when Bates can't be there he can he can find out how it's coming along yeah. um and Amundsen have the same equipment that we're installing so hopefully minimal changes when we bring it in house um, Yeah, but it made it a very tough sell because you know it's effectively an import, you've got incoming transport and you've got the distros outgoing transport um, and it made it expensive beer we, we I think it was about 11 grams per litre hops on our pale turtles um, and we couldn't afford to go <laughs> any higher than that and yeah it price um i think if you asked me i would have probably done an ipa Um,
0: what kind when a customer is presented with your product for the first time and they see the price what kind of impact do you think that's
1: having on them sorry say that again
0: what what kind of when they see your beer as as, a high uh high value Mm i don't want to call it expensive because i want to go into how yes it's a higher cost than other beers but there's it's it's not the same yeah but do you think that's what's the first impression you think people are getting uh, when they're paying a premium for your beer do you think you're are you confident you're giving them a
1: premium product i hope i hope people feel it's a premium product i think the beers have been well made and i think they do stand up i do think um in some cases you know like on our online shop our, our beers between 375 i think our pills is and about £5 or £5.50 if we've done a big juicy collab with someone. Um, (laughs) um, So if you're comparing that to a a drink-in can price at some bars in London, I know I've seen it go on for considerably more. And the value there, I think, does drop a little for the consumer. But I think whatever we'd priced it at, It would have worked its way through and ended up at that price anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think, given some of the collabs we've done, I think maybe a few people thought they can try their chances. Mm -hmm. Without naming names, I think a few places it did get inflated beyond what we were offering it and what we we were selling it. Same price to everyone and the
0: distributors and retailers. Yes, they command what they think they can get for it because they've got to make their margins. Yeah, and different retailers and distributors work on different margins. Yeah,
1: and sometimes I think with a super hoppy beer, you know. If people could think about a cash margin, I think the beer would get drunk quicker, it would be enjoyed more, and people could go better. But yeah, we, we are concerned, and, and I feel like you know, there's only a finite amount of time that we can make beers in the way we are, and we need to get in and on and doing it in-house.
0: Ed, uh, you recently uh, purchased and renovated the Pembury Tavern, uh, on the Five Points Junction in, in London, uh, proper Hackney working-class boozer by all accounts. <coughs> Uh, so how do you ensure your offering that you put in there, your beers and your guest beers, how do you ensure that it is of this high-end quality Five Points offering without alienating the, the, the locals that have used it for years? Um, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, we are, with the Penry
2: Tavern, we've, we've, you know, it's not just a Five Points tap room. you know, we, we've, we've, um, we've, we've you know, what we're trying to create is a, is a proper <coughs> pub. You know, is, is, a, is a boozer. You know, is, is a pub that anybody would come into and recognise palpably as a as a pub. And it, you know, 40% of the beers are are five point beers on on cask or on Craig. Um, but we but we serve lots of other other, other people's beers as well. And, and I guess you know we have tried to be accessible. It is important to us. You know, going back to the you know, the independent theme, you know, we, we wanted you know the big boys and in international beer have plenty of opportunities to get on bars, as we've been discussing. So it's important to us. In, our, in, in, in the Pembry that we we use our showcase that we have to support our fellow in the independent breweries. So, so trying to be we are independent. Only at the same time, we felt that we had to have a, a kind of a mainstream, an accessible lager that people would have heard of, um, and and we chose Budvar for that because we felt that we like the Budvar story about standing up to AB Inbev and defending the original Budweiser name over the years, and you know, it's, it's kind of. Um, publicly owned in the Czech Republic still and that was a that was a nice bit of the story so we do sell, sell Budvar as an accessible um beer that people have heard of um, but you know, our, you know we're not you know our, a lot of you know we, we do you know we do do barrel aged beers and we do bre- bretted beers and our derailed railway porter is 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 you know is, is cascaded on, on brett for a considerable period of time and that that obviously comes with it at a premium price and our barley wine that we brew annually and, those sorts of things, we do have premium products, but I suppose now our core range is fairly accessible price-wise anyway, you know, so we haven't, you know, if our, you know, five points pale ale, you know, you can get on cask for around four pounds, um, a pint of, of, of cask, you know, which is expensive in some areas, but in London, that's relatively reasonable. Um, you know, we've tried to be, you know, we're not we're not going for silly prices now. Our, our core
0: range is relatively accessible anyway. Um, Adam. Um make a lot of, and I'm going to put this in inverted commas, expensive beers. Um, because you're using very expensive ingredients in, in vast yep. quantities. So, what I'm interested in is what are the challenges for you in educating your consumers
3: as to why your your beer can cost what it does? It's, that's, a really, that's a really good question. It's really, really hard. Um, I think at the moment we don't really educate our consumers. Our consumers are are already educated. I think moving forwards, we're going to need to work on some education. I think the core range essentially is, is the affordable beers that we we make. I'm not saying our, our big beers are unaffordable, but we never started this brewery to be, let's get affordable big double IPAs into people's hands it was, let's get the biggest double IPA we possibly can brew into somebody's hands. And that's working and people love them and they they sell out, I mean, we we don't have beer available. But when we start making more of it, I think you're right, we're gonna have to start doing some education. I think I I touched on it earlier. Things like this can never stop. Mm -hmm. Beer festivals can never stop. Doing tap takeovers and meet the brewers can never stop. We, We can't just suddenly think, oh, we've done it. Verdant have done it, we sell out all the time. When we start making more there's going to be a ceiling to the amount of poppy beer the uk can consume but there's always people finding craft beer and there's always somebody turning 18 every single day <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll be outside that store
1: <laughs>
3: no we, we do we have to educate people but right now things are okay and we can sell enough beer but yeah on my mind moving forwards there will be a lot more events like this. There will be a lot more meeting the brewers and getting the beers in front yeah. of people. We're not going to sacrifice on the flavour ever. Like if, if James was here, he would be like shouting. <laughs> he, he will not. And I, and I agree with him completely, 100%. We, we set out to make these beers, and that's what we're doing. I think the only thing that we are doing right now to work on price is that we're, and I think we're being very successful, is bringing the ABV down and doing some nice pals that have a similar mouthfeel and body to the bigger beers. And I think that's really, really important. There's going to be a big space in the market for that.
0: You're about to quadruple capacity uh, with your crowd front. Do you think the economies of scale will
3: help you there in, in terms of the price of your beer? Um, yes, I do, a, a little bit, not a huge amount. But um, we, I personally think we could double sales tomorrow. Um, which we will do with double capacity in the first year nothing will really change there. By the end of year two, we'll be triple and then it will be all about export. So, I, 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 we're not going that big. It's still relatively small yeah. as a brewery. We're only doubling the brew house size with four times the capacity. So, we're not aiming for huge, huge volumes. It's going, it's going to be a similar piece. I think pretty much with export, we are just filling demand on, on what we've got right now. I think something
0: that's very interesting to me is how beer, we talk about beer as, as using this singular word beer. Beer is becoming increasingly multifaceted uh, from, from bitters and, and, and lagers of one end of the scale through to uh, intensely hopped beers uh, using you know, 10, 20 times the hops that, that beers 10 years ago were using, through to, to beers that have been aged for three years in wood and blended and packaged in 750 mill bottles. We call it all beer. It's not really all beer, it's, it's incredibly multifaceted. And I think if we talk about where beer is going over the next 10 years, it's about how we define all these subcategories of beer. It's probably a challenge that, that other categories like wine and cider, you know, they're not having to deal with it. Maybe wine with, its, with the difference between uh, commercial wine and, and biodynamic and natural wines, but uh, beer has, has this challenge of trying to explain why this 750ml bottle is £25, pounds and this, this bottle in Waitrose is sixty nine. I think this is something that, that this is going to mark the next five or ten years of, of our existence in the industry. So, so how do we uh, as an industry talk about beer changing into something multifaceted? Who wants to answer that one first? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question again? Miranda. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, how do you put a price on... We, um, at. Our startup uh, rent in our brew house is given over um, one third to our water purification system, um, a, th- a third to the brew house, and a third to our barrel aging division. And that won't see any yield for like eighteen months. If that, mm-hmm. how do you how do you put a price on that? When Mark Trentner started up Burning Sky, he said, "I, I have no idea yeah. how to price these beers." And um, how
0: do we get people like who like wine into beer? I have we put 750 bottles of £25 beer in wine shop. And don't yeah. A about it. That's, lock that one away. That's, mm-hmm. and that's something that, that really occupies a lot of my thinking at the moment. Um, is, do any of you think craft beer is too expensive? When you, you make and sell it, but do you think it can be
3: too expensive? I mm-hmm. think well, it can be, but not all of it. A lot of it's really, really well made but, beer mm-hmm. that's worth every penny. Mm-hmm. A lot of it... Some of it is masquerading as really, really well made bit and matching the price point. And I think that's the difference. You know, labels and all that are all good and they're, they're, they get people's eyeballs on shelves, but if the beer's is bad, we touched on it earlier, it only takes a couple of times to buy that beer and you won't buy it again. And I think that's how you suddenly realize, and that's when value comes in something. And you look at it, put them on the shelves, this one's three pounds, this one's four pounds this one's rubbish. this one's really good. And then people start making their judgments, and then when they buy into brands and they see other beers, they're willing to take the plunge because they have some trust in that brand and they know that they're consistent. Um, anyone in the audience, do you think craft beer's too expensive?
0: Yes, just a show of hands, yes. Some of it is too expensive. Yeah, but most people seem pretty content with what they're. You know, there's only a couple of hands there, so our small sample size says they're happy to pay a premium for, for, for a quality product. Okay, um, I'm sure there'll be more questions about prices we enter the Q&A, but I'm, I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to uh, move on to our, our final subject, which is about. if um, We're talking about the future of beer. Uh, the cities were the incubators of modern beer culture, and we're seeing increasingly uh, people moving out of the, the cities and, and setting up. Adam, um, you're based way down in, in Cornwall and in Falmouth, but you actually, as a verdant as a brand, seem pretty entrenched in, in cities like London and, and, and Bristol uh, in the southwest. So, uh, I'm curious to know, how do you... Thanks, Mark. Thank the you. beers have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Um, How do you you satisfy the needs of um, markets like London, with your bar the experiment as an example, while still trying to find a bit of
3: relevance at home? We knew from day one, when we started in Berlin, that Cornwall wasn't going to be relevant for us. Um, It's a hugely traditional market. We we weren't sitting out to make traditional beers. We weren't foolish enough to walk into pubs with our product and say that you need to take carving off the bar and put on our incredibly hoppy light bulb or headband. We, we literally went out, well, I did. I, I went to every beer festival we possibly could, met as many people as we possibly could with our beers, and went to cities because we knew that's where the beer was going to sell, to exactly your point. Um, Falmouth, I'm saying, well, four years later, Falmouth still hasn't really caught on we sell maybe three, four percent of our beer locally. Everything leaves uh, Cornwall. And that's changing, like if we open our own space, obviously the seafood bars can straddle some of that beer. We've got maybe three other pubs in the town that take it. Apart from that, there's, there's no other permanent lines on in Cornwall of our beer. But saying that, Light Bowl in the local pub in town is now cracking through 12 kegs a week. So the the guys are enjoying it, and people are drinking the beer and loving it. But do you know what they say now? Have you got any other different types of beer? Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) It's happening. It's It's absolutely happening. Yeah. And um, Falmouth's quite a young town, isn't it? It's it's a student town. It's you'll be surprised. It's a real mixed bag. There's a a high population, obviously, with the university brings professionals. Mm -hmm. So you've got all the, the lecture staff and their families. And then we've got a really high population of professionals that travel and work away and come back. So, And then you've got the students um, and the locals, obviously. So it's, it's, it's what? It's 24,000 people with 8,000 students. So it's, it's a big, thing, But um, they don't really drink. They, they might, well, past midnight when they're drunk, they'll. By anything, but <laughs> they, they generally don't go out looking for, for good beer. Yeah. The students, They're, they pre-load at home and they hit town at eleven and they go to the clubs. But we do have that professional market in town, and they love our beer and they drink it a lot. So the, the two pubs that sell it, it goes really well. And the rest of the beer leaves the county. Um, you know, we dabble mentally with cask. Like, should we do it? You are doing cask beer this year wow we keep talking about it it's a lot of bloody work and we just don't know we'll probably be really rubbish at it and that would really water down the ground we've put a lot of time and energy into making these beers and we think that we're very so yeah to start making new beers just for a, a local market as much as I'd love to and we've got some beer coming up in Cast for the festival next weekend. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't honestly say. Like, my heart says do it, go for it. And then mentally when I think about building the new brewery and seeing the new brewery I probably will look at that and go, do you know what, it's just close down the other, the other side. Hmm. Ed, Five Points is, is incredibly entrenched uh,
0: in, in London and Hackney in particular. But as you grow, how do you intend to break out of, of that London bubble and find a, a wider relevance around the UK in at all? I think um, we've already started to, to do that. I mean,
2: about 15% of what we sell, actually, we sell in, in the sort of greater Yorkshire area. Part of that is existing relationships that, that we have. I lived in Leeds for 20 years before I moved to London and still have a, a pub in Leeds. Um, you know, we, we work with a with a of local distributors in, in, in the Yorkshire area, um, who take our beer um, so so, you know increasingly you know if you go to if you go to to, to Leeds at the moment you, you, have a, 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 you know there's, one, there's probably 20 pubs or bars that, that have our beer on as a, as a sort of house pour um, beer which is great you know it's just been we've just built, built up organically really we haven't got a we haven't got proper national distribution you know we don't have a national distributor that carries our beer we don't work with you know Matthew Clark for example or, or Amethyst but what, what we tend to do is work with small independent local specialist or regional distributors that we have a relationship with and you know that might be Kirkstall Brewery in, in Leeds have their own distribution business uh, it might be Blackjack um, guys in, 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 in Manchester um, six barrels up in up, up, up further north um, you know and that, that that's, that's sort of work well with us you know pe- people respond to, to the to the beers and um
0: you know it's it's yeah yeah leeds is an interesting one because leeds is a fiercely local market but uh you, you white locks is one of the most loved pubs and it has permanent five points beer and it seems to be pretty embraced at that i mean five points pale and five points pale was two of our biggest
2: selling beers in, in in white locks which is fantastic you know they're up against you know well you know, they're up against mainstream lagers and they're up against you know landlord and thinkstons and you know i, I think we hold our own in terms of you know reception and quality and consistency and you know just a, a very good pint and and, and, that, and that, you know people res- respond to that and i think that um you know we'd like to i don't know it's still you know we're we sell a lot of beer in london but i think you know compared to the likes of say beaver town or camden you know even even we are barely scratching the surface at the moment you know there's a lot more to, to go out in london so i think you know we started out you know we never cut us to the master. We started out as a, as a, as a, as a, vowedly sort of London-based community, hackney-based brewery, but we are, you know, we're, we're spreading our wings and we're just doing that in an organic way. There's not a master plan at the moment. Ed, can I ask a question?
3: Yeah. Do you think you'd sell as much beer as North without having your own venue? The, um, the, basically, how much effort do you think you would have needed to put in to get the beer into people? No, it's good. I mean, I, I think it's a good question.
2: I think, I think the White Locks, you know, it is, has been a really great beachhead, you know, it's like a, sort of showcase for our beers in in, in the north you know without a doubt you know but i think because you know i suppose it's been a because we've got because we've sort of got that sort of yorkshire heritage to an extent you know we've always taken it seriously and you know we've always exhibited at Leeds national beer festival for example from the get-go and you know funny you know know know, the, the, the north the north bar guys really well you know kind of used to work with john from, from North Bar, 20 years ago at, at, at a music venue we both worked at before we started at North Bar and it's, you know, those relationships endure and it's, it's really been really interesting to see us all go on to do mm. other things in, 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 in the industry and that's been um, been really exciting. It's yeah. lovely to
3: hear because it's similar to the way we do distribution, it's all about little guys that we've made relationships around the country and we trust and they take the beer and we trust them rather than in one, all your eggs, one basket, there you go, beer mm. yeah. the beer yeah.
2: show a doubt is what works for us. You know, we still spend, make a lot of effort, you know, if we're launching a new beer or we're getting to a new sort of county or area, you know, we, we work hard with local independent venues to do tap takeovers and events. And, you know, we always send our, our production staff as well as our sales staff out to, to meet people in, in new cities that we're maybe launching them. And I think it's so, like, you know, we put ourselves around quite a lot around, around the UK. It's, yes. it's hard work and it's, but it's worth it. You know, it's just great to engage with
0: people. One more question for, for Miranda, then we're going to open the floor up to a little bit of a Q&A. Uh, you're from London originally, is that right? So why are you opening a brewery in Norfolk?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <Sure. laughs> yeah. Um, in,
1: in I mean, we wanted to differentiate, and we were thinking, you know, to come up through the ranks and to come into a, an industrial estate or a way away arch wouldn't necessarily suit us. My husband and our head brewer... Uh, very much enjoys being inspired within nature and isn't massively fussed about people, let's say, maybe. <laughs> um, so, lovely when you get to know him. Lovely when you get to know him. Just don't hug him off the bat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, <laughs> so he wanted to be in a place where he could be creatively inspired um, and for the type of beers that he really has a passion about, uh, not necessarily all the beers that we're going to make, um, we wanted somewhere uncharted and we felt to create a legacy and to differentiate um, we wanted to set our sites somewhere different to what had gone before.
0: How do you intend to engage with that local market?
1: I think a soft touch approach. I don't think, you know, going up to people and trying to convert them straight away is going to work. I think it's quite a die-hard traditional scene there. Norfolk, outside of London, was one of the biggest beer drinking counties, so I think that works in our favour. Um, we Yeah, we're just, we're, we're more spreading our net wider and working with a few select distro and um, then hoping to contract. The other great thing is that the world is somewhat flat now, so if you enjoy good beer... It's not actually flat. <laughs> and you're not near a city, guess what? You know, a courier can, can get it to you wherever you are, and... Um, on our online, we, it was really important to us to start an online straight away, just to see where our interest was from. And even though it's a really small percentage of our sales at the minute, there's huge loyalty uh, from East Anglia. And they're not just buying small volumes in, in our sort of ratings. You know, they're, they're coming in and buying tons of the same beer. And every single time we buy it, they're buying it again. And there's a real sense of pride that... Something's coming to their region and it's not a city getting the love and it's coming to them. So I want to encourage and that as much as possible.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, I'm now going to see the audience like a left wing Kilroy. Does anybody have any questions for our panel? Please. Uh, I've got plenty of cable here. Hopefully, uh, you've got these
3: question's for Alan. Uh, you say that um, like majority of your business is like 4% in Cornwall, and majority is in London. So when you guys were doing your business plan, and obviously you realised that, okay, we're going to go mostly to London, how did you kind of build up mainly to kind of attack London and kind of get those sales very early on? It wasn't so much London, it was city, so the first port of attack was Bristol, so closest city to us. Um, and. It was, it, do you know what? I don't know whether we did a business plan. Um, Fair enough. But we, we knew we had to get the beer out of Cornwall. The, the whole idea was to get the beer out of Cornwall, make it as successful as we possibly can. And essentially, what happens in Cornwall is people from outside come in and tell the Cornish what's cool. 200 miles away and it takes them about three years to come on <laughs> and then eventually they get it and now there's a big buzzing in Falmouth about our brewery and, and people are incredibly proud of it and so people get, are asking for our beer in pubs a lot more so when he, new bars open they generally ask us for a lime so that's Ace but how did, how did you get over that like initial kind of like hump of like where the new brewery how do we get our brand out there like straight away? By literally going out to as many beer festivals and meeting as many people as we possibly could and pretty much bullying ourselves to be in to report at these events. So turning up and saying, we need to be invited to this event, and here's our beers, and people trying to be saying, yeah, okay, all right, you guys can come. You can be in the corner over there. And slowly building it up that way. And then Bruce from uh, Small Bar in Bristol, which was a big beer, took us on his distribution yeah. And um, at that point, we were brewing 12 kegs a week, and he took the lot basically. So we we just had to send it to him. So you got distribution like very uh, early on. It was really early, and he, man, did we pay for it. He he had a big discount. He yeah, he worked us hard. Um, <laughs> but it worked out well for you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, okay. I think after that, you literally people outside and in and saying, "Can we get the beer?" And you have to say no. And it's at that point where you. you mentally were sat there saying really we need to, boat. yeah we need a bigger boat um, and that's when we built the, the brewery that we're in now <laughs> uh,
0: the panel of uh, Mark just handed me a Malibom and I drank it very quickly um, uh, that, for those who don't know is uh, Malibu dropped in a uh, a glass of tropish Kevin Sell from Hale Brewing, who live here. Uh, the panel, you've all got your Mali bombs, can you please. Uh, <laughs> yeah! well. yeah! I'm Such actually
1: enabling <laughs> uh, that. I already drank mine because I got
0: a bit overexcited, but it's it's a 30 second trip to paradise <laughs> <laughs> in a glass. It won't go.
1: It
0: won't go. <laughs> okay. Can I sip mine? Don't down in one shot, it's got to be down in one, otherwise the effect is lost. <laughs> Um, who has the
1: next question for our panel? So a couple of hands up there. Yes. I don't say anything. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> it's
3: nice. So, really nice. For I've um, invested in both Five Points and and really Woo! excited to see how you how you both grow and, and duration as well. How you, you go in the future. Um, outside of outside of brewing and, and with your own venues, how is that? A, a focus at all, or, or a force at all in, in terms of growth, in, in terms of, alongside increasing your, your brewing capacity, in terms of expanding your, your own venues as well?
2: In terms of sort of having, having bars and yeah. having that kind of retail outlets. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for us, being able to, we've never had a proper room in London, we've never had a five-point venue in London, and one, one of the things that the crowdfunding allowed, allowed us to do was to buy... Our local pub it was basically the pub at the end of our end of our lane um it's two minutes to the front door of our brewery and it's also most important you know but importantly it's it's based on the five-way junction the five-point junction we took our name from so you know it, it, to, to sort of have our, our our local our local pub as a free house and as our as our tap room is is being well you know you could make it up this is perfect really it's just perfect and, and it's great because it you know, at a commercial level, it, it provides an in- a commercial income stream for the brewery. Now, as, as we expand and you know, as we seek to do to, more, to do more things and grow and be more experimental, to be more experimental, and to uh, grow oh our, our I noticed something <laughs> <and> the um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, our barrel aging program and, and and to increase our staff in our staff uh, role. You know, staff, uh, role. Um, you know that, that income stream is really important, but it also you know it's fantastic that we've got this kind of you know somewhere that we can invite people into as a showcase and whether that's the local community come in and try all of our beers basically tank fresh pretty much you know um or whether it's to 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 host would-be um customers you know so we can bring in uh you know pubs and restaurants and bars and buyers you know to to taste the beer and and see it in its It's it's early days we've been open five months but it's really important But, but that's quite a unique case and i think you know, we, 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 I'm not sure that we will open more retail units. We might, you know, but it's not a big part of the master plan. You know, at the moment, 2019 is all about focusing on the brewery and the Pembury Tavern and making that work. You know, we've, we've raised a lot of money from people like yourself. Like Thank you very much, genuinely, for investing in it. It means a lot, meant a lot to us. Um, and, um, but, you know, we need, to, we need to prove that we can do it, that we can take that next step up in terms of capacity and, and run the brewery well. And let's see what happens in, in years to come, regarding additional hours.
1: Um, I'd say for duration is hugely important. And while it's not in our phase one plan, uh, we definitely want to have a tap room. You know, we want to build a destination brewery. And part of where we are was creatively for the beers, but also in terms of square footage, I think we're paying a third of what most London breweries from our research were paying. And yeah, we want hospitality to happen to the people that come to see us and to like pull up a chair on the farm and come taste the way of life that, that we're creating. Um, I think any brewery not thinking of a tap room is missing a trick just for the retail prices as well. But yeah, our, our business plan was devised so that we get up and going and we get some wind in our sails, hopefully. And then as a phase two and with a possible crowdfund, we'll we'll build the tap.
0: Great, any more questions? Someone's back here. Don't worry. I think I've got another table. Okay.
3: Hi, I'm Caitlin, I'm sorry, okay, so basically my question
1: is about the beer itself and what all of your breweries are doing sort of in the research and development parts. How are you being inspired? How are you being um, influenced by? all the developments in technology and beer and we're seeing different yeast strains, we're seeing different experimental hop varieties, we're seeing lots of different equipment and what is kind of inspiring you and if you're taking any of that? It's
3: a great question. Uh, inspiration from yeast. Uh, James, I'd say, is m- massively geeky on all this stuff so he, he lives research. Um, We try as many different hops as we can. Hops are hard, because you have to contract them. So, when we know we can get them or we'll contract them, uh, the experimentals, we get them and we bring them and we try them. Um, Apart from that, really, for us, it's more about process that we experiment with. And it's um, trying to get the the body and the mouth and the beers to where we want them to be. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on across Beer styles, which I'm not sure I'm into at the moment. There's so, a lot of sort of sour, fruited IPAs that are hoppy, you know, fruit ingredients. The... yet. Yeah. Is
0: um. that yeah. um, um, Everyone's going to rush to the IP office to register that.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
3: I'm not really a big fan of lactose in beer. I'm not really a fan of fruit and hops together, you know, hops are quite fruity so you don't really need fruit as well. but I like the fact that people are doing it and I've had a couple that are amazing and a couple that blow my mind, but essentially I, I do get a vibe off a lot of those beers that I'm going to get type 2 diabetes really quickly. <laughs> so I, I like beer to be beer essentially i like it to have a nice bit to finish but I, I i think it's really important we don't do a huge amount of kind of massive experimentation but i do believe that's down to the fact that we have to do what we're doing five days a week we're pretty much flat out in that brewery and we don't have space to play as much as we we want to and with the new brewery we will so yeah watch this space for us I yeah.
1: Um. I'm not the brewer, but having, having followed the brewer a lot, we're quite interested in water. And we've been, um, Norfolk's got very hard water. So we've been looking at how we treat it coming in. And um, I think that's a huge area that can improve beer a lot. So we're having lots of talks with different people and, and finding out a lot more about that. Um, yeast as well is a big thing for us. And the National Yeast Bank is held in Norwich. Um, they've got about 2000 genomes they don't necessarily they they've recorded them all and banked them all they don't necessarily how they know how they work from a flavor profile aspect but they're super keen to work with us so we've been putting a few things out and about around our farm and um yeah we recently made a beer with greek yeast and um the interplay with that yeast and the protein made a really lovely mouthfeel in a beer that was just 3.3 percent um so yeah We'd love to experiment more when we have a brewery. We'll hopefully do a lot more of it. For those
0: that don't know, Kvík or Kvík? Or kvike It's a Norwegian yeast that's cultured on a stick. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Nor- Norwegian farmhouse brewing. There's been uh, a lot of articles on it recently. It's, it's a real frontier in brewing. And what are you doing in, you do you know, do? in terms of R&D? At, at five I mean, it's, it's, it is, again, going back to the idea of, of collaborations.
2: Of, uh, yeah. uh, last year, we did uh, the, the 10 collabs we did, but was a great opportunity to Experiment with, as Adam says, you know the, the problem with, with hops. If you want to brew a beer in volume, you need to contract. You, know, you need to contract for at least a year ahead, maybe three years ahead, to secure supply. So our the Citra, the Amarillo, the Simcoe that we use in our beers, we're signing contracts. You know, last last year for the for the next three years ahead to, to guarantee supply. And one of the advantages of doing a small batch beer, either as a limited edition special or as a collab, is that you can you can you know beg, steal, and borrow small quantities of new hops, either from fellow brewers or, or from your hop merchant. Um, so that, that is, you know, the same with, with, with yeast styles. Um, so it's it's the, the, the collapse is definitely something that, that allows you to do that. At uh, sort a of prosaic level, we, you know, we have a we have a we have a product development committee. We meet every month and it has representatives from our production team, from our sales team, from our event staff. And we get around and we chat about which beers we've been enjoying recently, what's happening in the market, you know, how our beers are going being received. You know, we, we launched with beers six years ago. That you know, we thought our and Red, our our six percent red rye beer, was going to be a, a killer beer. You know, it's going to smash the market. And you know, every year the sales declined and declined and declined, declined because you know, mine. it turns out. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And, and mine mining Greg's too, but we're we you know, keeping it alive. But you know, so it's always good to, to re- review your your own and um, 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 range. So you know, we do have a, you know, we do, do we sort of have a formal process for new product development. As well as using these kind of co-labs and specials to experiment with, with even ingredients a few barrels on the go as well haven't you we do yeah we've, we've, we've got a barrel agent project that we've been doing for about two years and it's you know it's not it's not nearly as big as some of them out there but it's you know we've got about 30, 30 barrels on the go and we have a thing every new year's eve since we started we've brewed a, a barley wine um and um, a couple of years ago we put that year's barley wine in, into barrel and that's still kind of maturing away we've put our railway porter into barrel, we've put our uh, bretted, our derailed porter into barrel, and those will be released over the next couple of years. We've got, in, this autumn, we've got scheduled a release for our, on our thousands, uh, brew number 1000, we, um, we did a, a, what we're calling a grand stout, and we did a, a clean version and a barrel aged version, and we're bringing that out in the autumn. So we are, you know, we are, you know, it's sort of like slowly, slowly, but we
0: are, you know, we are doing some. Some interesting stuff and with that i'm going to um bring proceedings to a close thank you everyone for, for coming down tonight um and thank you for those questions they were great but can you please put your hands together for our panelists Adam Miranda? <laughs> Adam, thank very much, guys. thanks for tuning in everyone if you'd like to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider supporting us via Patreon. You can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash pellicle Please also consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice, as this will help more people find the show. Until next time, I've been your host Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to the Pellicle Podcast.